Hi, and welcome to the Woman We Love Wednesday podcast. I'm your host, Alexandria Ritchie, founder of Dama Detroit, and every week I'll be interviewing local female entrepreneurs from a wide range of industries and backgrounds about their businesses, their keys to success, and what inspires them. We'll be giving you real, unfiltered honesty about what it really takes to be an entrepreneur. Hi guys, and welcome to episode 15 of the Woman We Love Wednesday podcast. Today's episode, I speak with Eden Gibbs. Eden is a digital marketing strategist, and she is the founder of Eden Creative Group. We spoke about so many awesome things about marketing, about why telling your story as a business is really, really important in order to stand out. And she also dropped some tips and tricks for small business owners and shared some of the things that small business owners, including probably myself, are doing wrong. So it was a super good talk. It's also really amazing how vulnerable Eden was, and she opened up about a lot of parts of her stories. Eden is a college dropout. She experienced homelessness for a period of time, but instead of viewing those as setbacks in her life, she views them as just kind of stepping stones on her road to success. So I hope that you guys will find this episode just as inspiring as I did. Um, Make sure to follow Eden on Instagram. All the links are below and I hope that you will enjoy this episode. Thank you. So welcome back to the Woman We Love Wednesday podcast. Today I have on Eden Gibbs. She is the owner of the creative marketing agency. I'm really excited to talk to her about that. And she also does a lot of work with the Detroit Phoenix Center. So we are going to get going. Thank you, Eden, so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. So I always start off every podcast. I always ask people about their childhood. What was your childhood like? And what were you like as a child? Uh, As a child, I was a force to be reckoned with. Uh, I was a wild (laughs) child. um, And I'm pretty sure if I ever have children, it'll be like the best kind of karma. Uh, But uh, yeah, I, I had divorced parents. And uh, my dad moved up to Detroit and my mom lived, uh, I grew up in a really small town in Southern Illinois, uh, closer to Kentucky, not anywhere near Chicago. I think that's the biggest thing that when I moved up here, I say, oh, I'm from Illinois and people are like, what kind of Chicago? And I was like, no, 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 like, you know, 400 miles South of Chicago (laughs) in the middle of nowhere on a farm. Um, So it, it was a ton of fun. I think my parents made things pretty great for us. Despite the divorce, we, it it was always positioned as, Oh, two Christmases and two birthdays and things like that. Uh, I have a really big Southern family. My dad's from Kentucky. And so we, uh, I have, I don't know, probably like 35 cousins. And so there's always a ton of us at family events and things like that. So it's, uh, it's, it's wild. It's fun. My family's great. Um, so yeah, I grew up just kind of a little hellion and needed a little direction, uh, to be able to kind of get to a place where I was doing all right. But, um, I think that's how so many leaders grow up is they, they grew up kind of wild and so many people kind of say, you know, they were, they were loud children or they were maybe, uh, class clowns, or they were bossy or something like that. And I think as a child, I was very much labeled bossy all the time. Uh, I think in reality, children like that just need a little direction to be able to point it towards, you have some really great skills here that you could use. You just need to refine them a bit. I, I, I grew up, well, two things like one, I grew up in a big Italian family. So I totally know what you're talking about, about like every family event is like 35 cousins and you barely know how everyone's related. (laughs) And my sister was like, so, so extroverted and so take charge that I think it was like exhausting for all of us sometimes, (laughs) but she's super successful now. So I think that's like, she just needed somewhere to like channel that, like that energy. Yeah. I think mentorship is always a great thing. And I think especially as we transition, you know, from youth to adults, it's so, so important for people to find mentors. And I think that term mentor has maybe gone um, a little out of style. It might be a little old school nowadays. 
Um, but it's, it's still there. And I think a lot more people have mentors than they realize. They just don't necessarily call it that. Do you think that was like a key thing for you was to have a mentor or do you more wish that you had had that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think I didn't, I never had a mentor really, um, that was like in my day to day per se, like really close to me until I moved to, uh, Detroit full time. I was 24, I think. And I'm probably getting a little ahead of myself, but, uh, I moved to Detroit, uh, when I was 24, I moved here to go to college, to go to CCS college for creative studies. And I dropped out of college for creative studies after a few years, it was really expensive and I couldn't get any more loans. I was, uh, you know, uh, really down about it. And I got this job as an assistant to, uh, Tatiana Grant at 2050 partners which is a consulting agency here in Detroit. And that's where I met my first mentor, um, Marla Stoudemire. And uh, so I was probably 25 when I had my first mentor, really in like that capacity and like that day-to-day, like, how are you doing? Are you making good decisions? You can come to me when you have questions, whether it be for business, whether it be for relationships, whether it be, you know, your job, whatever it is. And so uh, Marlo and Tatiana were really those people for me in my mid-20s. And it, it was definitely life-changing. I think I, I was hired as an assistant at this company. And I think mentors recognize things in you that you don't even recognize yourself. So when I was hired there as an assistant, I had the I'm a college dropout mindset. I failed at everything in life so far this is where I deserve to be. And they kind of like pulled me out of that and recognized a lot of skills that I didn't even recognize in myself or maybe knew that I had, but didn't know how to apply them or even put them into words to put them on a resume or anything like that. And they recognize that. And so I think that's so important when it comes to having mentors, whether it be for school or business, for your personal life, for your relationships is that they're the people in your life that see things that you don't. And they're able to direct you in a way that is so productive and so helpful and so amazing. And I don't think I would have started Eden Creative Group if it weren't for Tatiana and Marlo recognizing that I had, you know, those skills and I had that analytical mind for strategic planning and for marketing and for event planning and things like that. I think that's such an underrated thing that a lot of people don't realize. It's like having that outside person in your corner. Like it's, you know, it's great to have like family and friends rooting for you. That's always nice. And that's wonderful. But it's a lot different. Like you said, when these are people that were like not involved in your life before you were 25. So to have them, I think that holds a lot more weight, especially when they see you in like a professional capacity, like um, to be able to see that in you. I had a boss like that too. And that really like, it just like, I felt so much better as like, like a a woman and, and like a professional workspace that I had someone that was like rooting for me and that saw things like you said that you didn't, you yourself didn't see. Yeah. It's, it's really such a great thing. You know, it, it not only helps you and your, you know, kind of vision of yourself and your self worth to hear somebody I recognize the value that you have, but you know, it's also, it's so valuable in so many other ways. And, and I think that's what I would recommend for everyone. Uh, Get a mentor, find somebody who is, oh, the words aren't coming to me, not necessarily above you, but like the the people that are doing more things than you at the time that are going to help pull you up to their level. Because that's really what everybody wants is to continue to build on themselves, continue to build on their skills, whatever trade they're working, whatever, you know, career line they're in, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're in corporate work, whatever it is, everybody's looking to kind of move up and, 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 uh, reach their vision, reach their goals. And that's what, you know, people like Tatiana and Marlo did for me. And something like that is so life-changing. And I wouldn't be here today if I didn't have people like that in my life. So I also want to talk to you about, I know you just mentioned 
um, that you had dropped out of college for creative studies. And I know that I also saw that you posted about that on social media. So first off, I want to say thank you because that's one of my big like gripes with social media now is I just feel like there's a huge lack of transparency and everyone's life is this highlight reel and it's beautiful and glamorous and glossy. And I think a lot of us are so like, we're just not used to posting or we don't want to post our like quote unquote failures or these things that were like the tough times in our life. Cause it's not as fun for people to read about and it might not get as many likes. So what kind of like, have you always been comfortable about talking about that? Or was that something that kind of changed in the past few years? I think I've always been an open person, but I think only within the past few years have I really been comfortable putting it out there. I I think recognizing that there's a difference between the person and the persona in your life and kind of, you know, the person is, is your true self, your private self and, and whether, you know, everybody else sees it or not, that's, that's the person you are even behind closed doors, whether or not other people know it or not. And then the persona is the perception that you give out to people. And, you know, we all have personas. Everybody has a persona. It's not necessarily a fake thing. It's just, you know, I act differently when I'm on a business call than I act on a call with my brother, who's my best friend, by the way. So it, it's very different. I have, we all have different personas for different situations in life, for different people in life and things like that. And so I think that for me, they really came together and started to be the same thing when um, I did start to get into marketing and things like that, because I realized that storytelling was such an integral part of letting people know, especially for businesses, what you're doing in your business. There are 7 billion people on this planet. So chances are whatever business you have, whatever job position you have, uh, whatever kind of entrepreneur, whatever product you're selling, there's a million of them out there, just like you. Not just like you, but there's a million products out there or a million jobs just like that. The difference is you and your story. And I realized that stories have such an impact. And that's the only way that people differentiate themselves in this saturated market on a planet that is vastly overpopulated and has something for everything out there. Uh, So I realized the power of my story and being able to kind of tell that there is a difference between that person and persona that you put out there you know, you talked about social media and how everything is like so perfect on social media. And it's very true. Uh, Everybody puts out a persona on social media. I think before I moved to Detroit to go back to school, I was homeless for a year. I did not have my own home. I was couch surfing. I slept in my car. Sometimes I slept in the attic of a dog grooming shop for a while and nobody knew. Nobody knew I I put things on social media and everybody just thought it was life going on as normal. You know, I had a job, I had a dog, I had a car. So, you know, you kind of post when you're at a coffee shop. Well, I worked from coffee shops because I didn't have a home. So that's where I was working. And so, oh, Eden's at a coffee shop. Everybody posts pictures of their Starbucks on social media. So there are so many things that you can get by in life without people knowing the real deal for so long. And I'm so glad you brought that up and brought up the social media and the being perfect. I think there's a really big movement right now on social media of people being really, really honest about things. I think Jamila Jamil, she's an actress from The Good Place and does so many other things, but she's got this amazing social media where she's talking about, you know, body positivity and mental health and things like that. And she really puts things in perspective often. And people who kind of put out that, perfect vibe and that persona and things like that. And she just kind of like crashes it all. And she's like, I'm not perfect. Look at me without makeup on. Look at me doing dumb stuff. Like this is really great. So I'm glad that people are starting to see the value of their individual lives and, and sharing, you know, their struggles and things out there and how it positively affects people. And especially lets people know that, you know, they're not alone. Life isn't perfect. Life can suck, 
but life can be really great at times too. And it doesn't have to be this cookie cutter thing that everybody thinks it is of, you know, graduate high school, go to college, get a job, have a family, you know, live in the suburbs with your car and your kids and a pool in the backyard. Like that doesn't, it, it doesn't have to be that way because social media and everybody telling their story and sharing those intimate details about themselves that are sometimes hard to talk about is happening and it's becoming more popular. And it's, it's such a great thing to see. I also think it's the idea that, you know, you were so honest and open about something that a lot of people would have, you know, especially in previous generations would have kind of tried to hide or been embarrassed about. It's that, I think that's a really powerful idea because you're owning your own narrative, which is what it should be. And, you know, it's this idea that you're also showing people that like, you don't have to have that cookie cutter life. Like you, you still went through all these things. You went through homelessness, you went through dropping out of school and you then were able to, you know, obviously through a lot of hard work and perseverance, like start your own business. Like I, th- I think that that still kind of frustrates me when I do sometimes meet people that like, oh, you didn't go to college and they look down on people. And it's like, well, that's not like necessarily an indication that someone's going to be successful or not be successful. Exactly. You're so right. Yeah. And I think, you know, those are the same people that also look down on you when you are uh, sharing, you know, details of your life or or happenings in your life that might be really difficult. I think, I, I think the most popular example that people could understand right now is probably Chrissy Teigen and how she was so open about her most recent uh, miscarriage. And there are so many people out there that were like, well, why would she share this? Like, she's just telling her sob story. Like she's doing this for like attention or whatever. And I think people need to recognize that, you know, you can have low points in your life and and you can go through really shitty things and it can still, it doesn't have to be a sob story. Like, I'm not sitting here telling you that, you know, I was homeless and, you know, I I struggled with with housing insecurity and and poverty and things like that for it to be a sob story. It it gives context to people's lives. And it also lets other people know that they're not alone and that they're, you know, there there's sunshine on the other side of the mountain. If you can get to the top and you can realize that everything's going to be all right you just need a certain turning point in your life, whatever that may be for you. And for me, it was, you know, my mentorship, but for other people, it might be something else, but it's not a sob story. It's context for your life. And and it's something that's so important to share so that, you know, we as a society know that we are not alone in certain things and that we're going to be okay. It's also the idea. I mean, definitely like the whole Chrissy Teigen thing. It's, it's the idea that, I think we want to see people's successes, right? Like, like as in society in general, like we want to like see the glamorous award show photos and like the funny, like Instagram videos and things like that. But like, there's so many failures and like for most successful people, the majority, it hasn't been like some straight, you know, perfect line to success. And it's, I think it's good that now, like they're finally talking about like failures or mishaps or difficult things they went through, like to show that that journey isn't just like so perfect. So I know that you kind of touched on like your own experience with homelessness, but I am doing research for this podcast. And I had also listened to, there was an episode of Terrible Things for Asking, which is one of my favorite podcasts. And they did an episode a while back about homelessness. Um, And one of the things that was interesting to me And that you had just said is, you know, I think that a lot of us had this had or have this idea that the homeless person is a person sitting on the side of the road or living underneath the bridge. But that's not actually really how homelessness is defined. So how is like what kind of like defines someone being homeless? So I think it's really important to establish the fact that people aren't homeless. People are not defined by homelessness, they experience homelessness. And hopefully they only experience it for a short amount of time. And that, that's not always the case. But I think it, it's really important to uh, lean into that asset framing and recognize that homelessness is not an identity. It's not, you know, a race or ethnicity or, or anything like that. It's, it's something that people experience. 
So I, I work with one of my clients is uh, Detroit Phoenix Center, and they're a, um, a nonprofit organization that uh, provides the, the critical resources and the safety and support and, and those wraparound services and things for vulnerable youth in Detroit that are, are experiencing homelessness and poverty and, and, you know, working to rise out of those circumstances. So I think, first of all, it's really important to recognize that we are not defined by our circumstances. And I'm so glad that you brought this up because there is this misconception that, you know, people experiencing homelessness, everybody has, like you said, that image of, you know, the dirty guy that's standing on, you know, the corner of the exit off of the lodge freeway and asking, you know, holding up a cardboard sign, um, and asking for money. Uh, and people are giving him McDonald's burgers out of their cars. Like that, that's not far and wide. That's not necessarily what it is. That is, can certainly be, uh, something that exists and something that does exist, but more often than not, um, especially when it comes to, you know, millennials and younger, most people who are experiencing homelessness are, you know, highly mobile. They're, they're, they're street connected. They, they, they know their surroundings. They, they know where they can and they can't be at certain times. They usually do, um, have some sort of communicative advice or device or something like that with them where they're able to, you know, text or call people and, you know, they're going from couch to couch. They're, they're people that are in high school that are needing to have their parents sign a, a field trip form and they come to school and they have forged their parents' signature because they don't have parents that are with them that are able to sign this. And they're still going to school. They're still attending those field trips. They're still applying for colleges and doing all of these things to work out of their, their, their situation. I think for me, I, I didn't even recognize that I experienced homelessness until I started working with Detroit Phoenix Center and and heard them put it into the the words and how they you know describe it and and um, putting it into context and me sitting back and going oh my god I didn't even know this the people around me didn't know this no nobody really thinks of it that way there you know so I think there's kind of a, a stereotype that needs to be reckoned with in this country when it comes to those who are experiencing homelessness and poverty. I definitely agree. And that's something that, you know, that's one of the many issues that I've, you know, worked on becoming more educated on like this past year. I know that, you know, why I know it's like so complex and there's so many layers to it. Why do you think it remains such an issue in the U.S.? That's such a great question. There are a plethora of reasons. And you're right, it's, it, it would probably take a whole nother podcast episode. And <laughs> I think if I want to keep it more high level, I would say a few things. Pride, definitely, for people. One thing that I dealt with when I had recognized that I experienced homelessness was going to people who are close to me in my life and saying, I experienced this. This was such a low point. You know, why didn't anybody, you know, offer me any help or why would, why wasn't anybody there for me? And they, they kind of looked at me and said, what, you weren't homeless. You had a place to sleep. You know, you were eating food. You had like a job and stuff like that. And to this day, I have family members that refuse to acknowledge that I had experienced homelessness. So I think pride is a big thing of it, even when it comes not only to other people recognizing it in people that are experiencing it, but also people who are experiencing it themselves and don't want to reach out for resources. The United States is such a, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, be proud of the work that you do and be proud of the things that you're providing for your family or for whoever is around you. And, you know, when you're not providing certain things for the people around you, more often not than not, uh, there are people out there that are not going to let, let anybody know that they're not able to provide because they're scared of people knowing and judging them. I think... Another reason is probably the foster care system 
there are so many people within the foster care system that, you know, at 18, they're just kind of let loose. They don't know what they're doing, really. I think people believe that the foster care system sets people up for success and like gives them resources and things like that. And sure, resources are given. And yes, social workers are amazing, amazing people that have an impossibly difficult job to do, impossible caseloads and things like that. But more often than not, um, there's, there's such a large percentage of people, of youth that are coming out of the foster care system and end up, and end up experiencing homelessness because they just drop off and they don't have the resources they need. Um, and that's a big thing that I, I learned from my work with Detroit Phoenix Center is about, you know, the foster care system, um, and how it drops off there and which is why they, decided to serve youth all the way up to ages 24 because of that reason. So what struggles do you think people that are experiencing homelessness have faced because of COVID-19? Because I know it's it's been challenging for everyone, but I can't imagine if you're already struggling with, you know, finding a roof over your head, what that must have been like during a pandemic. The box I would check for this is all of the above. So finding a roof over your head, yes. Uh, Throughout the pandemic, there were a lot of uh, shelters and resources that just weren't open and weren't available because whether it be because Nobody, I don't think anybody was prepared for this pandemic. Nobody was prepared. Nobody knew what to do. And I know that there were several shelters around Detroit that closed down because they, they didn't have a plan for something like this. Or they stopped offering all of the services that they would normally offer. A lot of, especially within the youth community, there are wraparound services and after school programs and different things like that. And so I think it's, you know, there is a housing shortage for those experiencing homelessness. And I guess I can only really speak for the city of Detroit. I can't, I don't necessarily know about a lot of other cities and areas and things like that, but there were, there was a bed shortage um, because not only because there were difficulties within shelters and organizations providing services like beds, food, and, you know, laundry and different things like that, but also because during COVID there were a lot more there was an influx of people that needed those services. You know, the unemployment agency was backed up and people weren't getting their money for months. People weren't getting money that they needed and resources that they needed to be able to go to the grocery store, to be able to buy diapers as young moms or, you know, things like that and uh, even pay their medical bills. And then I think there's, I think it's an impossibly long question to answer. I think I could go on about it for a while, but I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm saying that in a, nobody knew what this pandemic was going to bring. And we, everybody did their best, especially in the city of Detroit came together for so many things, when people weren't able to get what they needed, you know, from the government and stimulus checks or unemployment, there were always organizations like Detroit Phoenix Center, like the Mariners N, like uh, Hashtag Lunchbag Detroit, and things like that, that were coming together and making sure that people had what they need when they could. I think within the first, I don't know, six months of the year, Detroit Phoenix Center served over 1,500 people and, and giving them meals and, and other resources and things that they need, like down to, you know, clothes. And especially when it got into the wintertime, people needed boots, people needed coats. They couldn't afford it because a lot of the, a lot of the people that are, are experiencing poverty are working those uh, service level jobs that, you know, aside from working uh, at, you know, a fast food place that was able to continue to stay open because they had a drive-through or, you know, they're a huge organization and was able to afford it. They were working at, you know, the smaller restaurants, the people that worked for the city that worked on the queue line or something like that. Like most of them lost their jobs and 
you know, when everybody's losing their jobs and everything's shutting down at once, they're not able to go out and say, oh, let me just find a new job. Well, no, the whole world's shut down right now. You can't find a new job. So the city of Detroit and all of the organizations within it, all the nonprofit organizations around did such an amazing job pulling together and being able to provide resources and options for those people. You know, now that you've gone through your own experience, now that you recognize that you were like, like experienced homelessness for a period of time, what do you wish more people understood about homelessness? I wish that they understood that it didn't look like the stereotype that we discussed earlier, the man on the side of the road holding up a cardboard sign. And I also wish that people understood that more often than not, they need, it's often something, they often need something that people that are close to you or organizations around you can provide, but people don't necessarily know where to go and look for that. For me, the thing that got me out of homelessness was somebody providing first and last month's rent for an apartment for me. And that's all I needed. And I wasn't able to make enough money to be able to get in there because the first and last rent or the first and last month of rent policy and, you know, getting your car insurance. And oftentimes when you, when you finally get a car, well, you have to have it insured in most states. Well, when you get it insured and things like that, you have to be able to pay like this larger sum of money, like a deposit or down payment. I don't know what it's called. And oftentimes like those are the things that are the most difficult for people when it comes to moving up and moving out of these things is, you know, First and last months of rent, it was a couple thousand dollars, but it was a couple thousand dollars that I didn't have at the time and wasn't able to make at the time unless, you know, I wanted to work four jobs and absolutely kill myself. I just wasn't able to do it. I think a lot of people don't realize how close much of the U.S. is to like, not even necessarily the official poverty line, but to literally being like, bankrupt just bankrupt yeah like I I think like they we don't well a lot of us live in these very like I mean I had, a, I had a very comfortable childhood like we certainly weren't wealthy but we never worried about food on the table we never worried about having you know something to eat for lunch like we always had a beautiful house to live in you know which is already so much more than like a lot of the country is dealing with so when you like see that there's so many people that are like one missed paycheck away from a disaster it's like so heartbreaking I can't remember the percentage off the top of my head. Uh, and I follow Sally Krawcheck, uh, you know, on Instagram, on LinkedIn. So uh, she owns a company. Uh, she owns many companies, but she owns a company called Elevist. And it's a women-owned and women-focused, like, financial institution. So you can, you can kind of... Uh, you can have a debit card through them and actually bank through them if you'd like to, but also they're, they help you push around your money to wherever you might need to save it or, or invest it. And when you're investing it through them, you're investing in, you know, women owned or women centric organizations and causes and, and different things like that. Uh, And it's really fantastic. They have financial advisors and she put out a statistic that I can't remember right now, but it was an absurd amount of people living paycheck to paycheck that were literally a $600 disaster away from like not being able to afford rent that month, not being able to afford their car payment and just disaster, absolute financial ruin, like $600, like, like an ER visit away from financial ruin. And I, I don't think that enough people understand how, how important it is to be able to, I guess, I don't think people understand how important financial literacy is. I totally agree with you on that. I think especially a lot of women are just kind of like, that's, you know, luckily I think changing a lot with our generation, but, and I, I grew up in a family that was a little different, but I have like, you know, some of my mom's friends that just like got divorced and they just like didn't come from that generation where the woman managed money and they had no idea what to do when their husbands left, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, you know, 
so many organizations around the city that, you know, deal with um, those experiencing homelessness or those, you know, at risk or experiencing, you know, poverty and things like that. You know, Detroit Phoenix Center, Junior Achievement, um, Alternatives for Girls, they all have financial literacy programs because those are so important to be able to know how it's not just the balancing the checkbook that we learned in high school. It it goes so much deeper into that. And I think it's, it's something that we all need to learn. I'm sure most millennials need to like, there should be a millennial class on financial literacy, honestly. What do you think is the most effective way for people to like give back or to help? Monetary donation is what comes up for most things. And monetary donation is very much needed. Uh, General funding, donating to general funding, so needed so that the organization that you're donating to can decide and put that money where they need it most. Other than that, there are, if you want to physically donate your time or any items that you have, there are so many resources around Detroit that, you know, you can look up and, you know, work to package up meals and things like that. Hashtag Lunchbag Detroit is a really great one. Google it, look around. There are so many options and so many ways to do things. But I think my best advice really is just give people your money. Same with the, the, the man who is experiencing homelessness on the side of the road. Like, just give him your money. Like, he, you know, he might be hungry at the time that you drive by and be thankful for your McDonald's burger that you give him. But just give people your money if you have it. Because people need to decide for themselves where the best place is to put that. So I wanted to now talk about how you got started as an entrepreneur. So why did you actually, I know that you mentioned your mentors earlier on, and that was like a big factor in your success, but what actually was kind of the catalyst where you were like, I'm ready to start my own business? I had been in the consulting world and working with different agencies since probably about 2016. And I... I've had my own LLC and that's kind of how I, as an independent contractor for those agencies, was able to kind of process through all of my money and do my taxes like through that LLC. But I didn't actually start off on my own and start my own business, Eden Creative Group, uh, until 2020. I had, I was working for an agency and in August of 2020, I was actually hospitalized for two weeks and then also out of work for longer than that. I have Crohn's disease and this agency just kind of like dropped me and essentially looked at me and said, you're, we feel like you're not reliable anymore because we don't feel like your health is dependable because I had a chronic illness. And I think, you know, if this were any other kind of like large organization that had HR and things, those would be like huge, huge flags. But because you're an independent contractor, anybody can kind of get rid of you whenever they want for whatever reason. So there's no, there's no like legal action to be had there, but it was a devastating blow to me because I think, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you're doing your own thing um, or even an independent contractor, like your dependability is really all that you have that that's that's your brand your ability for people to reach out to you whenever they need to and and you know you to help them and provide whatever service you're offering to them and so when somebody looked at me and said we don't want to depend on you anymore because of your illness you were just hospitalized for a long time and we we don't want to deal with this is essentially what happened So this company essentially said, we don't want to deal with you and your chronic illness anymore. Bye. And I had to be on these weekly infusions after I got out of the hospital. I was, I was so sick for like 90 days is how long these infusions lasted. And so, I mean, a combination of like this company that you're close with the owners with and looked up to and felt like they were family looking at you and saying, we don't want to deal with you and your illness anymore. Bye. And then you also being devastatingly sick, having to take, you know, these, 
all these drugs that made you feel sick for like 90 days straight was just like a really, really low point for me. I think 2020 was a really low point for everyone, but that was, that was my like super low point in 2020. And I got done with these infusions and Detroit Phoenix Center gave me a call like right after and asked me to plan an event for them. And I was planning this event for them and just realized how freaking amazing it was to be my own boss. And I was just kind of like, I really shouldn't, why not be my own boss? Like, why not start my own company? Like, why not take on the clients that I want to take on? Why not depend on myself? If other people don't want to depend on me, that's fine, but I can depend on myself and I can run my own company and I can do my own thing and be my own boss. And if I'm my own boss, then, you know, nobody else can really tell me whether I'm dependable or not, you know, aside from clients. But whether I'm dependable or not, nobody else can tell me, you know, if I'm valuable or not, because I call the shots and I make, I run the show in my own company. And so I was like, well, shit, <laughs> like, let's do this. We're on our way. And so um, probably this was started in officially in October and it's just scaled and taken off in the most beautiful and marvelous way and I have such a great community around me. The community in Detroit is my family. I don't really have a lot of family up here in Detroit anymore, but the people that surround me in Detroit are my family. And being able to lean on the people here in Detroit that I know and this great network that I have was so instrumental in being able to start this company and being able to do my own thing and kind of pull me out of this really deep depression that I was in uh, to be able to do these things. That's so amazing. I mean, obviously I'm sorry you had to go through such a tough time to like come out on the other end and like start your own venture. But I mean, I am happy for you that it obviously worked out. Yeah. I mean, nobody wants to go through a bad time, but you know, when you look back at it, uh, I think so often when people go through things like that, they want to look back at it and say, oh, well, I regret trusting those people. And oh, I regret like doing this, but I don't because we learn from everything in life. Mentor of mine, Joe Caruso says that we uh, enter each stage of life as a novice. And it's so true. Every stage in life that we enter into, we have no idea what we're doing. We're, you know, flying by the seat of our pants. We're figuring it out as we go. But everything that we're doing and all of the actions that we take as we're moving through that are all of these lessons that we've ta- learned from before and that we're pulling along with us to make sure that we're going to make better decisions and do better things in our lives as we continue to move on. So I don't, I don't regret any of it. Was it a shitty time? Sure. Is being sick a shitty time? Always. But you learn great things, you learn a lot about yourself, and you come out better for it on the other side. I will say that, you know, some of the hardest times that I've been through in my life, I learned far more than, you know, through like the smooth sailing times. So, you know, not that I wish to like repeat those experiences, like once was enough, but I I know what you're saying and it's true. And I think that's what like builds character and that's what like gives us that like drive and motivation and that focus. Yeah, absolutely. I think a colleague of mine, his name is Justin Breen. He recently wrote a book called Epic Epic Business, but he was on a meeting with him and he said that the most successful entrepreneurs in the world go through, have, have dealt with three things in their life. And I feel like I'm probably going to butcher this. So I'm really sorry, Justin, if you ever listen to this, but it's, you know, three things in life and they're always difficult things. So it was something like dealt with, you know, uh, extreme poverty or homelessness had, you know, an unsupportive or uh, even abusive parents in their life. And there was something else that I can't quite remember, but it was something where you kind of look at it when he says it and you're like, oh, all of these things are, are hardships. They're all hardships to where, 
you don't get out of those things unless you hit rock bottom. And when you hit rock bottom, you learn your biggest life lessons. And those life lessons are the lessons that are able to build your stair steps so that you can walk yourself on up out of that, you know, deep hole and depression that you were in or whatever circumstance you were in and walk out of that a better person and and doing great things if you put your mind to it. Very true. That's something that I've definitely like had to learn as I've gotten older and a lot about for me, one of the biggest lessons has just been like, even when it is something really terrible, like just about perspective and, you know, I mean, cliched as it is, but about gratitude as well. So I know that we touched on this a little bit earlier about how, you know, marketing focuses on storytelling. And that's something that, you know, in your agency is really big on, like what exactly is that? So I did read, I'm sure you probably read it or at least know about it. The brand story by Donald Miller. And I also read like a similar book, a very short book by Seth Godin. But what do you wish kind of like someone who isn't in the world of marketing that they, what do you wish they like understood about that focus on storytelling? Yeah, this is such a great question. And I think, you know, when you reference people that aren't necessarily in marketing, oftentimes it kind of leans into that like small business crowd who a lot of times can't afford to pay for somebody to market for them. And marketing isn't always social media, but social media is a huge, huge part of that. Like you said, I I lean into the storytelling a lot. Your story is really what separates you from everyone else. You know, there's, I don't know, there, there are so many, for example, let's talk about the pizza places in Detroit. There are so many pizza places that are amazing, by the way. I love pizza. And so pizza places in Detroit are a dime a dozen. They're everywhere. And so there are different places that tell their story in different ways. Pizza Plex in Southwest Detroit, they're a, oh, I can't remember the classification of their business, but they're essentially like a a low profit business to where they take much less money for profit and they, they give it back to the community in you know, whatever way they have chosen to do that. And so, you know, that's their story. They're the Neapolitan pizza in Detroit. They're certified Neapolitan. That's their story. They tell their family story. They're in this little neighborhood in Southwest Detroit and they lean into that. Moot Pizza downtown leans into their story being, you know, the authentic New York people or the the authentic New York pizza. And, you know, they have right next door to their restaurant, they have a little place where they serve the slices and things like that. And that's part of their story. That's what they've made out of, you know, a pizza place, you know, that could just be a restaurant and things like that, but they've added more things around that story to kind of complete their brand. And so when it comes to marketing, it's really important to sit down and say, okay, well, I sell water bottles. So, you know, great. You sell water bottles. So do millions of people in the world. So what's different about your water bottle? Okay. Well, my water bottle is made out of this great recycled material. And whenever people buy it, it goes back to, you know, some other, you know, an impoverished village in Africa or, you know, something along the lines of we're digging a well for, for this village or something like that. There's always a story that you can tell from behind any product, any service that you're providing and being able to push that out there. You just have to be able to, you know, recognize that and and figure out what your message is going to be and build your brand around that, build your marketing strategy around that and push that out to the world and be your most authentic self. And that's what's really going to, you know, sell your business is that authenticity and that story that you're, that you're selling. You're never just selling a product. You're selling a story around that product or service. You're selling the experience that whoever is going to purchase that product or service is going to have. And so what are you going to say about, you know, the story behind it, the experience that people could have with it and and how they're using it and how they're putting it to work and, you know, where, where all of this stuff is going and make it some sort of holistic brand around yourself. I love that. That's so amazing. And that's really, really true. Uh, off of that, what do you, what are some of the most common mistakes that you see small businesses make with marketing? 
I think my biggest one, which is a huge pet peeve of mine, is like copycatters that look around. You know, we always want to look around at the businesses that are selling similar products or offering similar services and do a little, you know, digging and a little you know, gaining some competitive knowledge and things like that. We always want to know what our competitors are doing, but there's a point where, you know, I've had clients come to me and say, I really like how this brand did it. Can you recreate this graphic, but brand it for us? And I say, absolutely not. One, that's their intellectual property. That's very, you know, that those are some muddy waters that you dig into with intellectual property like that. And two, that's not your story. You know, don't tell your story through the lens of somebody else's business, whether it be copying their designs, whether it be copying, you know, whatever they may do. And I think a lot of times, especially smaller businesses that can't hire agencies that don't have the budget to, or for whatever reason, don't hire an agency, you know, they, they have the best of intentions. A lot of times it's not maliciously done. It's just something where they think, oh, I'm not as creative as these people are. This looks good. I'm going to make it my own rather than making something from scratch that really is their own and that really does tell their authentic story. And I don't think... I said this one time to somebody else and they, their, their response to me was, well, what about Canva? Doesn't that, you know, doesn't that kind of muddy the waters of everything? I've said that uh, to other people, to other clients and things like that. And I think one of the, the responses that I've gotten on multiple occasions has been people asking about Canva and, oh, what about Canva? I don't think that that necessarily counts. First of all, I have half of a, you know, communication design degree, which is kind of a mix between graphic design and advertising. And I got out of school and looked at Canva and went, well, why the hell did I get this degree if Canva's around? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But no, hire great graphic designers and pay them well because they do much more than Canva could ever do for you. Canva's not the same. Canva's not copying. You're making it your own. And oftentimes, you know, businesses don't have the, those creative edges to be able to use, you know, Adobe Illustrator to create their graphics or anything like that. So Canva has been such a blessing on the small business world. I, I think it's wonderful. So Canva doesn't count, but moral of the story, don't copy off of people and hire great artists and pay them what they deserve. Yeah, Canva is definitely... Um one of those sites, I would be like devastated if something happened to it. God forbid. I don't even want to put that out in the universe because I, same thing, like I do not want to spend my time trying to learn like Adobe Illustrator and these kind of things. It's not my niche. It's not my thing. I don't want to do it. So it has been such a blessing. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be your niche. Like that's why people have specialties and that's why people hire things out because we don't all have to be great at everything. I think you know, being a jack of all trades, some people really think that being a jack of all trades is really great and you're really great at things. Well, no, when you're a jack of all trades, you're not great at things. You're just kind of good at a whole lot of things. Like I'm not very great with my finances. So guess what? I have a CPA that handles all my shit because I don't, you know, I offer social media services and things like that, but I don't know how to use TikTok, but guess what? I have you know, a social media manager and I have designers that do know how to use TikTok. So those people do that for you. Everybody has their specialties. And I think, you know, celebrating everyone for those specialties and being able to put them to great use is the best thing that, you know, business owners, um, hiring managers, things like that could really do for their organization. And I also totally agree with you about the jack of all trades thing, because I would beat myself up for so long about you know, especially when starting my own business of like, well, I should know how to do all these things. I should learn Photoshop. I should learn this. And it's like, there's only so many hours of the day. And then, like you said, you just end up being really average at a lot of things, like average at best. (laughs) So I realized like you got to outsource the things that just aren't, aren't your niche. So speaking of outsourcing, if there is a small business that finally feels like, okay, we're kind of like financially stable enough to outsource our marketing What do you think are some questions that a small business should ask when they're looking to work with a marketing agency? 
you know, for sure, asking to see that agency's, you know, portfolio or CV or whatever kind of, you know, case studies they might have, being able to see that physical representation of the things that they've done is really important. For marketing specifically, it can be really difficult to quantify in numbers per se. I know you talked about just like the portfolio. So it's obviously a good idea to see the portfolio, to see like the physical work. And then you were talking about how it's kind of difficult to quantify like marketing efforts. Yeah, I think asking to see, you know, their portfolio or case studies is super important. And then, you know, I think a lot of people especially when it comes to social media, I guess this is more of a question not to ask or, you know, kind of level setting on some expectations. People will come to you and say, oh, well, I want this many followers by this time. And it's certainly good to set goals and and have those aspirations and things like that. But it's never, social media is never something that you can sort of quantify per se, unless you're running some sort of, you know, advertising and you can directly correlate that advertisement with this certain amount of clicks or sales or something like that, which gets really analytical really quickly. I guess another piece of advice or like the question that they could kind of lean into and ask is, you know, I think just going into meetings and straight up asking, you know, what they suggest. And I think that's sometimes a hard situation for people, for for you to put a marketing specialist or even the agency owner or whether it be, you know, the project manager or whoever you're speaking with kind of puts you in a, in a, in a tough spot, but, you know, sitting down asking the strategist, like, here's what I have. What could I expect from this? is a really great option. Nobody's really going to tell you what you're going to be able to do without some sort of deep dive or discovery call into your business. But looking at it and saying for a strategist to be able to sit there and look at what you have so far and say, okay, there are options here. I see your website. We have you know, some options here to be able to do X, Y, and Z with this if you want to move into this space. And so I think what's really important to sit down and and ask those kinds of open-ended questions, if you will, because when you're sitting down and you're asking a strategist questions like that, you're really seeing how their mind works and how those wheels turn and how they're able to look at something and analyze it and give it back and say, here, here are these options that we could think of. And that's where you can really see how creative those people are and, and where that creativity is coming from, where, you know, how, how analytical they're able to, or how they're able to analyze Uh, different situations for different things and and be able to, from almost nothing, be able to give back to you and say, here are some options that could happen if we wanted to work together. There are more options to be had if we took a deeper dive into this and continued this relationship. So I think definitely being like less focused on the kind of vanity metrics that I think some business owners get really like obsessed with. Because at the end of the day, like who cares if you have 100,000 followers, even if you're not getting the sales, it really doesn't matter. So I think people get too obsessed with that stuff. Right. And I love that you called it, you know, vanity, because I think uh, so often clients and service providers can be very uh, transactional. And I... That's a big red flag for me, honestly, with certain clients. If I hear from a client that they're asking about analytics numbers or, you know, how much my services cost within like the first half hour that we're speaking, it's a big red flag because oftentimes when people are looking at those vanity metrics and things like that, they are transactional people rather than people that have that abundance mindset that are walking into this and saying, this is the relationship that I need to create because this is a long-term process 
where we're going to, you know, build, help build out, kind of refine the brand and then, you know, market it, put it out there, you know, see what works, see what doesn't work and, and see how everything can kind of come full circle. It's marketing is an investment for your company, hiring a strategist, hiring, you know, somebody that's bringing on graphic designers, storytellers, copywriters with their team, anybody that might be coming in and helping you with your strategic planning to help you build your company and then help you market that company too. That's an investment. And it's not an investment that you can go into and say, okay, well, how much is this going to cost you? We don't know right off the bat how much it's going to cost you because we have to do a discovery call and we have to dive deep into what your needs are and, and you know where things are going. I think one of the biggest things that I look for within clients and within other service providers that I might work with is that abundance mindset. That's really true too, that, you know, the best bosses that I've ever had, even if it's been like a dead end job have been the people that have been like, okay, well, what do you need to like thrive in this position? And I feel like it's kind of similar with like a client relationship. Like, yes, it is about the client, of course, and like making them happy, but it's also about like, like you said, that's one of the benefits of having your own agency is you get to choose who you want to work with and what projects that you think will be like meaningful. Yeah, of course. It's, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful position to be in, to be able to, you know, choose who you're working with and be able to have, you know, there are always going to be clients that you look at and say, this client pays the bills. And then there are other clients that you look at and you say, this client fills my heart. And, and fills me with joy and, and we do great things. And, you know, you get to decide all of that for yourself when you own your own agency. And so I feel truly blessed to be in the position that I am in to be able to make those decisions for myself. What are some resources that you would recommend? Starting out, you know, I think I would recommend a book to people. There's this book called uh, The Power of Losing Control by Joe Caruso, and it was absolutely life-changing for me. I think people undervalue mental wellness in business and in America in general, but especially in business. And people don't really want to talk about it all that much, but your mindset is so much. And The Power of Losing Control um, at a very high level is essentially talking about how you kind of accept the things that you can't control and focus on the things that you can control in your life. And so it really lays out, you know, different strategies to, to help with that mindset, um, whether it's for business, whether it's for personal, for, you know, relationships, communicating, mindfulness and things like that. And, you know, when your mind is right and you're able to perceive things in a certain way, you're really, there's not a, a bad thing about being able to change your perception of the world. And all of your feelings, all of your reactions that you might have, whether you're reacting or responding to something in business or your personal life has to do with your perspective of the world and how you're perceiving things. And when you're able to kind of look at a situation and analyze it and have the mindset and ability to be able to kind of take a step back from it and then be able to respond to situations rather than react, it's the best thing in the world that you could possibly do for yourself. And that book really taught me how to, uh, you know, dive deep into kind of my mindset and how I'm viewing things, how I'm perceiving the world, how I'm reacting or responding to things and being able to look at it and apply it to every single part of my life, business, personal relationships, I'm getting married in November. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations. My fiance, Scott, and he'll look at me and he'll be like, were you reading last night? Were you reading Power Losing Control? Were you talking to Joe last night? It's like, yeah. (laughs) Um, So that's a book that uh, I'm I'm almost done with. And it's just been absolutely phenomenal. It's changing your mindset changes everything in your life. And it's, it's so great. I would like recommend every 
business owner, every corporate worker, like anybody out there, read it. It will help you make better decisions within whatever you're working on in your life. It'll help you analyze problems and approach things in a different way that you didn't even know was possible. Well, I will definitely be checking that out. I'm a huge reader, so I'm definitely going to be getting that one on Amazon Prime soon. So where can people find you and where can they find your business? I, so my personal Instagram handle is at Eden Nicole Gibbs. And then my work business Instagram is at Eden Gets Creative. And so, yeah, you can find me there on Instagram. My website is uh, EdenCreativeGroup.com. It is under construction right now, but still has some details about the business, kind of what you can expect, um, services offered and things like that. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Eden. You are a wealth of super valuable information, and I really appreciate you taking the time um, to be on the podcast. And I know that I learned a ton from this interview, so I hope everyone else did as well. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I love to talk about, um, you know, strategies and speak with people uh, about the decisions that they might be making or about things that might be going on and, you know, really helping people and coaching and things like that. So it's, it's, it's always a pleasure and hopefully uh, we can do this again sometime. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Woman We Love Wednesday podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Woman We Love Wednesday to stay up to date on our latest news. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And tune in next Wednesday at 8 a.m. for our latest episode.